0: What was it like hearing that Alex Trebek suggested you as his replacement on Jeopardy?
1: It kind of came out (laughs) of left field. It was also a little bit of a welcome to L.A. moment. It goes to show, you never know who's watching, right?
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Youth Movement, our podcast about young professionals who are building a brighter future. Alongside my co-host, John Constantine III, I'm Parth Shah. Today on the show, we chat with Alex Faust, the TV voice the Los Angeles Kings in the National Hockey League. Alex, thanks for joining us on the show. Welcome. We're excited to have you.
1: Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Of course. You're someone I've been following for a while, um, obviously through Northeastern. It's really great to have you as one of our first guests on the show. So thanks for joining. So Alex, jumping right in, I introduced you as the TV voice of the LA Kings. So what does it actually mean when it comes to being the TV voice of a professional sports team? What does that actually entail in your day to day?
1: Well, it, it, I always think about this because uh, I, I wonder sometimes if you have to write out a job description for what I do. Um, you know, the the primary responsibility is the live play by play on television for our games during the regular season. But uh, I think, as you allude to in that question, it's a lot more than that. It's All the preparation that goes into a broadcast, knowing the material, knowing the league, um, but also the stuff outside of the actual broadcast itself. You know, um, you know, shaking hands with uh, key stakeholders, uh, partners, sponsors, uh, fans, season ticket holders. um, You know, building relationships in that way, uh, working with different. Uh, parts of the business, working with marketing to understand their needs and uh, being able to execute that during a TV broadcast, working with PR to understand what storylines are they're trying to drive, uh, and then working with hockey operations to make sure that we're, um, and we're doing the best to represent the team
2: uh, on a daily basis. So, Alex, I'm sure that you guys have a lot of preparation for all of your big games or just all of your games in general. What I kind of want to know is, how do you mentally prepare for those big games or those big moments? Do you have certain rituals that get you in the right mindset? Does that maybe include meditation or do you like to have a, a nice meal before the game or what is that, what is that like?
1: Yeah, it kind of speaks to the daily routine. Uh, you know, I'll get for a game, you know, 7.30 PM game in Los Angeles. I'll get to the arena quarter to four and uh, kind of uh, over the years, you know, changed up a little bit to try to find whatever works best to, to create kind of a consistent rhythm, and you're feeling comfortable going in. But I think I think you're parking up the right tree in that you know mindset, and um, you know having a certain amount of control going into a broadcast, of feeling confident of okay, I know all the elements that are going into the show today, and um, you know, understanding what is needed to execute, and then in the middle of a game thinking, okay, what's a particular statement I can make? What, what is a turn of phrase that I can use? I think you'd be, um, you know, foolish as an announcer to go into a game completely cold without an idea of what might I say if, if this thing happens If you don't have an idea in your head, you should. Um, but I'll take time, you know, at least 30 minutes to sit down, uh, and do a quick memorization. Um, that way I'm just, comfortable with names and numbers. I might know them ahead of time, but I want to, again, do a double, triple check. I liken it to taking a test every time there's a game. It's an open book test, but it is a test nonetheless that you do have to study for. And if you're prepared, you walk into the booth in a confident frame of mind and uh, you know have an idea of if we get a certain situation here's what I might say, maybe not word for word, because you're, you're then worried about saying it in a very specific way. But, um, you know, for instance, let's say there's an overtime goal scored by a particular player who's sitting on a milestone. Well, you know that that's going to be a significant moment for that player and for the team. Um, so I might just have in the back of my head the word milestone and work that into whatever call I have in real time. And you know, it's a milestone night. It's a milestone moment. Um, but it, it, it's little turns of phrase like that, that you kind of just have ready to go, um, just in case the moment presents itself.
0: That's awesome. And, um, I like what you said about getting your confidence, right. And building that kind of ideal state and that ideal mind, um, mm-hmm. especially someone who who is still on the younger end of your career, um, and who started, um, taking after a role that was filled by Bob Miller, um, for mm-hmm. f- I think 44 years, right. Am I right? Yeah. Um yeah, it, how how did it feel to kind of adjust into that role? And did you find yourself trying to build up your confidence when you were starting that role in the beginning? What made you feel empowered that you were ready for this opportunity to be the voice of the kings? Well, I think it's come in phases. It's been interesting to be on
1: that journey in a way, because when I came in, um, my first thought was, okay, they believe. That I have what it takes to be in this role, and for the first you know, six months, it was kind of okay. I'm just doing hockey. It's just anything else. I'm on TV. You know, I I I know what I'm doing. That got me to this point. And then about you know midway through that year, uh, we had a night where we raised um, Bob's name to the rafters, and it wasn't until that moment that it hit me: of oh boy, you're taking over for this guy who's been there for 44 years, this is a big deal. Uh, And I think at that point in time, I, I, you know, kind of started thinking about, oh boy, you know, I could make my own personal stamp on this. And sometimes that can get you into trouble. You know, you you can almost start overthinking and doing too much and worrying too much about the job that you're doing. And that second year kind of went in waves like that. But uh, I'm considering the book closed on this season, regardless of whether we play the remainder of our regular season games with the uh, with the uh, COVID-19 crisis going. But I think this third season, you know, really um, was a, a big one for me in terms of personal growth because I felt, okay, I can walk into uh, any game, be prepared, know what I'm doing and not think too much about it. Just go and do the job uh, and not worry nearly as much. So I think there's been a lot of personal growth and, and talking to other announcers that, you know, everybody's gone through everybody's gone through the phases where, you know, there's a, there's a honeymoon phase to where you're new to the job and you're trying to, you know, not step on anybody's toes. And then you kind of learn your way, learn what you can have an impact on, learn what you can't control, um, and find your way and find your voice through there and find a little bit um, more comfort in the fact that this is a a long season. It is a rhythm that you get into and uh, it's a job that, you know, you were tasked to do. And, and and for the most part, most of the people who get to this level stay.
2: So that's a very interesting point. You talk about being at this level, being at the pinnacle almost of, you know, you're feeling the shoes of of a great announcer and that's great. And when people hear that they're thinking, okay, how do I, how do I welcome that pressure? How do I take that pressure and make it positive? However, What did you get your start from? Because I'm sure you didn't just start out as the LA Kings announcer, right? You have to build to that. (laughs) So what was that journey like as far as like climbing up the ladder and, you know, making, you know, your voice be heard? Because in order for you to be, that's a very competitive field. Being an announcer is very competitive. A lot of people want to do it. A lot of journalism majors want to do it. So Mm -hmm. what separates you and how did you build into this person that you are now?
1: I'm looking on my desk right now at all these souvenir pucks from events or teams that I've covered, uh, going back to 2013. And it really does start in college at Northeastern. Um, I was fortunate enough my junior year of college to to win the Jim Nance award, which was given to the, um, the country's top collegiate sports broadcaster. Um, you know, in the moment, I, I didn't think I was very, you know, deserving of there were plenty of college kids that were studying communications and wanted to go in full time. I actually just considered it a passion project of mine. <laughs> I wasn't taking it seriously as a career, so it kind of hit me at that moment that okay, maybe okay, maybe you can make this a career. Um, and thinking back over the last ten years and how many breaks you have to have to make it in this industry, you know, the first uh, gig I got out of college in broadcasting was with the Staten Island Yankees. And I was being paid $50 a game. It was basically just a summer to kick back and call some baseball, just home games. I was living at home in, in New York City and uh, waiting on my full-time job to start, which wasn't even in sports. It was the Pricewaterhouse. Um, and knowing that that was around the corner, there was no pressure, right? Uh, it was just, again, a passion project. But uh, after doing that and after picking up a little bit of freelance work locally, you know, people who um, would vouch for me and knew that I did a decent job in college and who could fill in here or there, I got my first big break in 2013 um, filling in in the American Hockey League in Utica, New York, for their team that had just started. Their announcer, Brendan Burke, who's now the voice of the New York Islanders, had just taken a job with Fox sports to work on weekends doing college football and they needed to fill in. And most announcers at that level are already employed in a full-time basis. So I kind of was lucky in a way that I could fit a need for them. I didn't have to be full-time. I wasn't looking for a full-time gig even after filling in. I just wanted to call a couple games (laughs) and that's what it was. And I wound up doing that for three years and that kind of laid the foundation of Of working in pro sports but getting reps at a professional level and it set the stage for me to uh, start picking up some work with new england sports network nesson after that you know kind of starts the ball rolling everything builds on itself i I did college hockey and college basketball with nesson Used that as tape to send out to a couple different networks and got an audition with fox and then an audition with espn and and it kind of grows from there and I wound up quitting my full-time job. So I guess the lesson in all of it is that, you know, one thing builds on another and you know, if you get an opportunity, you got to seize it. But, um, you also, you know, sometimes you got to get pretty good breaks and I consider myself incredibly fortunate.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, it's been great. Even hearing like some of your calls of Northeastern hockey games, being a student, it's hard to, to miss some of those older clips, um, of some highlights. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, on the flip side, I know you talked about just how fortunate you've been, but obviously in your journey, there's also obstacles that you've had to face and overcome. Um, Is there anything that sticks out in your mind that was an obstacle or a learning lesson that you think was very valuable and helped you get to where you are today? I think
1: a lot of the challenge for me was... Um, just believing in myself Um, you know I'm I'm the type of person that you know wants to defer a lot Um, you know I'm I know my role in in many ways and I know I I, I enjoy the idea of studying my role and what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to fit and studying how other announcers work and you know I feel like sometimes that can overwhelm you and I, I think the biggest challenge I had was um, you know just overcoming nerves I, I can't tell you on, on so many occasions I would be faced with uh, you know this was my f- first college football game or this is my first time doing college hockey on TV or first time doing an NHL game and I would just be trembling I would be so nervous and it, each and every time, you know summoning the courage some way to get over it and have it you know be not so obvious that I'm terrified in that moment. And it's I, to be honest, it's taken up until very recently to kind of get over that. Um, you know, for each big game, if you're not getting butterflies, then you should probably step aside. Uh, you know, and that goes for athletes, too. They'll tell you that all the time. But in this profession, Uh, yeah, you may have that, but you still got to get over it and you still got to perform. It is a performance-based business and uh, learning how to overcome that, I think has been, uh, you know, big for me in in being able to step up to big opportunities when I didn't have a lot of the experience. And part of the challenge with not going directly in a communications or broadcasting path was I didn't have a lot of the reps. I didn't didn't have a lot of the, um, you know, the games under my belt to build a foundation and to to see different situations and know how to react as a commentator because so much of it is reacting on instinct. And when you don't have as much of that foundation, it's challenging to, to drop upon it and know the right timing and know the right phrasing sometimes to be able to capture that moment. So I've had to learn on the fly in many ways. And uh, being able to overcome nerves has been, uh, especially when you do make a mistake and you know it, and you know that somebody's heard it to not worry Uh, and just, just to let it go. And uh, you know, you're in that position for a reason. I think it's been a big area of personal growth.
0: That's awesome. And I, it's, it's funny, John and I were actually talking before this episode, um, just the butterflies we were having recording this Um, (laughs) because we're still new at this. And I think that was um, very relatable. Obviously yours is at a much greater scale, but um, it's great to know that even someone like you and professionals who go about this on a day- to day basis still experience that.
1: It's one of those things where you know you you've made it, right? You know i'm I'm so lucky that I've been able to do such um, you know high profile events and uh, you know kind of climb my way up the ladder. But at the same time, you're doubting that, okay, was, was this was this all too much, too fast, too soon? Um, And then eventually just got to settle back into the idea. And and it's not too dissimilar from what an athlete has to do on a regular basis. Um, I think spending time around tennis players, they understand the power of kind of visualization and, um, you know, seeing themselves in a situation, knowing they can execute and then going out and doing it, Uh, especially in a sport where you don't have teammates to back you up. It is all about you and how you perform in front of other people. So in that way, that sport is very relatable, and it's part
2: of the reason why I enjoy working tennis events and covering the sport. Do, do you really feel like you've made it? Because when I listen to interviews of people like Tom Brady or LeBron James or even Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, it's like there's always you're always chasing something. Is that how you feel, or do you make it a point that, okay, today or this week or in my off-season – I'm going to, you know, appreciate the moment. I'm going to enjoy what I have now. Or do you feel like you're always chasing the next car, chasing the next, you know, award, chasing the next big game? Oh, I'm always chasing. I always want to,
1: to keep improving and keep finding another level. Uh, and that can be just from my own personal. I want to get better at this job and find a different way to, to call it and make it smoother, make it better. Uh, but it's also you know getting validation with picking up more assignments. last year I did my first uh, playoff series for NBCsN and that was a huge validation that okay i can I can call games at a really high level. now I want more games, right you know I want to add to that. Um, you know I, I think that's a totally valid way to look at it too is that you're never satisfied. I, I think this crisis for um, for so many people have made made it so that you, you take a step back and you appreciate where you're at a little bit more. I know I certainly thought about that a lot because from March 11th onward, uh, after we finished our last game, that, that Wednesday, there was no hockey. There is no work. Um, you know, we're, we're in a mode where we're not doing anything right now. And yeah, I'm, I'm recording podcasts and helping out here and there and, uh, kind of pitching in where I can, but my main, um, uh, Livelihood is gone at the moment so I, I certainly you know have a much greater appreciation I think now um, you know it's not to say I didn't appreciate where I was before, but I think this has really forced everybody to take a step back and um, take a deep breath and see okay we're you know we're pretty lucky to be what we're doing even if we're not always satisfied with where we're at and we want to take the next step and um, you know for me that would be okay i've done one playoff series let me do another one and maybe a stuff and round series later on or maybe there's um you know a, i can push for an event that's working where i'm traveling back to back days and uh, pushing myself a little bit harder in that way so there are various ways to to continue to challenge yourself and i think um i would <laughs> i would never be satisfied with just status quo And, uh, I want to continue striving for, for more and better.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a really great perspective and like framing one moment and trying to build off of that for the next moment. Um, Alex, I think we're going to jump into some fast facts if you're ready. Um, some rapid fire questions. Um, you touched on your first job already. So we'll go to the next one. Um, professional role model, who would it be? Gosh. Um,
1: yeah, I think a guy like Al Michaels, uh, who shows his versatility, shows his consistency, and um, I think on a regular basis is you know considered top of his field, but doesn't you know doesn't rub it in your face. I, I think so many broadcasters in general are are humble about where they're at. Um, there are some who aren't, and you know those names get circulated around in the business, <laughs> and you know who they are, but. Um, you know, a guy like Al is, I think universally respected in that way that, uh, he treats people well. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a lesson for any broadcaster coming up and especially in television is treat people well, because you work with so many people on a regular basis from your producer, director, technical director, graphics, replay, bug operator, cameraman, audio guys. Like there's so many different parts and pieces that go into a TV broadcast and word gets around if you're not treating people well. So I would say, you know, for a guy who is as versatile and talented and uh, has the amount of consistency over a long period of time that he does, I'll certainly get my nod.
0: Yeah, he's absolutely a, a consummate professional. Um, really great. Also, just life lesson treating everyone the, the mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. Um, that they want to be treated. I think we were taught that from what kindergarten and on. Yeah, exactly. Um, sticking with it. Um, next one favorite book or podcast that you're currently into
1: favorite book well i just finished elton john's autobiography which was a really interesting study for, for again a performer who had uh you know done so many things and i think had the relatable lesson for for anyone in kind of a performance based industry of you know you never want to lose the thrill even if there's even if the show is not perfect you never want to lose the thrill of being able to go out there and perform and do something different and unique every single night. Uh, so I enjoyed that book and I've got a, a couple others that I'm looking to read, but um, you know, one of them is uh, Andre Agassi's book about his, um, you know, rise in the tennis world and subsequent uh, challenges and redemption. I think it, it's a, a pretty stirring story and a, a good lesson to, you know, again, treat people right and uh you know find your way back even if you are faced with challenges so i've got a couple on my list uh once we have a little bit more time it's it's been it feels like it's been forever but it's only been a month since the season stopped and i've been tidying up a lot of uh, business related to the the end of the season so i'll dive into a couple books this summer
0: yeah i'm sure i feel like we might have a lot of time ahead to Mm -hmm. to tap into that bookshelf um favorite social media platform that you like to use if any
1: You know, I I like being on Twitter just for the sense that when you're in a, I don't want to call hockey itself a niche. When I was in college, and college hockey is certainly a niche, it was a great way to keep in touch with people who uh, may not have the platforms to deliver news in the traditional way. Um, Yeah, conversations can get a little bit toxic, but that goes um, to any Social media platform there is, um, you can also turn it off. And I think one lesson for anybody who's um, you know even a semi-public figure, even in their own small spheres, is you do not have to listen. Uh, and that was a lesson I learned early on uh, in LA. It was you know th- there are people that won't like you, and that's mm-hmm. okay. You know they they don't have to, and you just have to be okay with that and tune it completely out and choose to turn off your mentions and basically um if you want to use it as a platform to read and let other people talk great if you want to be the one doing the talking and not responding great if you're active and you want to talk with others great it's it's kind of uh you can pick and choose what you want to do with it and and, in that way you can turn it on and off whenever you want there's there's nothing as we often hear the site is free and you can leave whenever you want
0: (laughs) So true. All, all the content that always says the site is free, um, mm-hmm. all the entertainment you get out of it. Yep. Um, and then um, last fast fact, um, you know, you went to school in the Northeast, you grew up um, in New York, but you're working out in LA. So uh, East coast or West coast? <laughs>
1: oh, you'll never be able to take the East coast out of me, but <laughs> I will never complain about the weather out here. Um, and the, the lifestyle it's it takes a little bit of getting used to if you're a hard charging high intensity east coast person um but you know what you you find your niche like anywhere else and uh, i i've certainly found mine out here and it's been great to uh to find a neighborhood i enjoy living in um you know to find uh, people that i enjoy being around out here you know, you, a lot in a lot of ways. Yes, it was the job of a lifetime to come out of here, but in some ways, you start from scratch. I mean, I didn't have much in the way of family out here, much in the way of friends out here. Um, so it's been you know, me and my wife have kind of had to start from scratch in many respects, from a social standpoint. But uh, I, I've enjoyed it immensely, uh, and I I realize too, you know, part of the, um, the the great thing about living in a major city like this is you're a nonstop flight away from home on the east coast and while you know la is my home in terms of my domicile you know my heart uh, will always belong to uh, where i grew up
2: just like anyone else
0: awesome i think that's all the fast facts we have um so i think i'll toss it back to jc for um some other questions
2: thank you for for all your genuine answers and i kind of wanted to to move the conversation in a different way a couple weeks ago i was training for a marathon and One of the things that allowed me to get up every day and like run miles and make me want to eat healthy and do things that I've never done before is my why, you know, what is your why in terms of like, obviously you want to do it because you want to get better. You want to be an announcer because you want to be the best announcer. You want to always improve and try to sharpen your craft. But is there a reason why you're doing this bigger than yourself? Is it for the, the sport of announcing? Is it to, for the industry? Is it for your family? I mean, give me your mindset into what motivates you at your core. Well, I, I think, especially now,
1: without sounding too self-centered, because I think there are far more important industries and jobs out there than a sports announcer at this point in time. But I think especially when sports returns, um, not everybody is a sports fan, but it does touch enough people where it does have an impact on people's lives. And I think if you talk to anyone who's been in a city that's had a championship parade and what kind of impact it has on morale, you know that sports does have an impact. It, again, it may not touch every single person in the same way, but I do view this role in many ways as a responsibility to entertain that you know, we hear so often. Um, on social media stick to sports well people tune in because they want something they're they're buying a product from you and you're expected to deliver it and in many ways and oftentimes they're buying a distraction um from whatever else is going on in their lives and you have to deliver and i, I view this job in some ways as a responsibility to be that entertainer to be Um, you know, someone that you can be comfortable with for an extended period of time. There are some people who watch all 82 regular season games. So you have to be the type of person that someone wants to be around 82 days out of their life, three hours at a time. (laughs) We don't have, let's be honest, we don't see our friends sometimes that frequently. So if I'm going into a broadcast every single night and somebody's watching every single night, Um, you know, I, I can't be annoying in that way. I have to be relatable and I have to be entertaining and I have to distract from whatever else is going on and make them want to come back. Um, you know, there's a lot of art and science in TV and, um, you know, one of the biggest areas that an announcer can have an impact on is viewer retention. Whichever announcer is doing a game, for the most part, will not make you want to tune into a game and that's myself included, regardless of whether I'm doing it or somebody else is doing it, it doesn't matter to you. You're tuning in for the game. But if you're annoyed with somebody or if there's something that just, you know, the, the style doesn't work or, it, you know, they're not taking care of the things that you want taken care of on air, you're going ch- to change the channel. So in many ways, yeah, we're in an entertainment industry and we have to entertain. But we do have a responsibility to, you know, be a companion for an
2: extended period of time. That's a really interesting concept because you talk about the dynamic between, you know, personal relationship and and your business of being a, a broadcaster. Does your broadcasting voice differ from your real voice or do you try to keep a similarity on purpose?
1: Uh, gosh it does change i mean as much as i try in conversation to uh to be as normal as possible you inevitably project uh i think i think a lot about theater actors and how they have to project in front of a live audience and in some ways we do the same because you know we can talk in a whisper at home um but it doesn't really work on television you have to cut through you have to cut through the ambient sound of the building you have to cut through and have a conversation with somebody next to you now you have to be natural while doing it And i think the best announcers have found a way to be natural i think about vin scully and how by himself for three hours in a baseball game could have a conversation and it wasn't a problem and he could cut through even if he wasn't you know yelling at you and projecting that was one of the things that kind of blew my mind meeting vin scully was he is the exact same person in person that you get on TV. He is genteel. He is kind. He is warm. He is in the exact same cadence. Some announcers just they don't turn it off. Um, and in Vin's case, it was a, a beautiful thing because you were getting exactly what you would expect to get if you just had a conversation with him. Now. I'd be lying to you if I said that you know my inside voice is the same as my broadcasting voice. It's different. Um, but You're saying it's, you
0: don't talk like this all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying that there's a little bit there's a little bit of an element that does come from on TV. Sure, uh, but sure. you know I try to enunciate as well. Otherwise, you know if you talk to my wife, she would just say that I stammer and, and say "uh" all the time. Right, um, <laughs> but it's there's an art form to it, and I think. The you know the announcers that that are memorable or the ones that cut through but you don't notice it.
2: Yeah, I I agree. And Fox announcers have a really special place in my heart. I'm a really big fan of Joe Buck. I like Joel Clad, Gus Johnson. Like these are all to me like legends in terms of like you know whether it's college football, basketball, or the NFL. Like they just they just know how to keep you engaged. And I may not watch you know, a college football, I might not watch Ohio state because Joe Klatt's the announcer, but I'm definitely going to be tuned in to what he's saying.
1: Yeah. And I think specific to Joe Buck, he's the type of guy that has found a way to evolve. You know, you talk about changing over time and trying to be better. You look at Joe Buck and what he's done today and
2: compared to what he did 15 years ago, he is not even close. I absolutely agree. And with, with that being said, is there anyone at Fox who is kind of like a, a big brother or sister to you? in terms of like a a good mentor that, you know, you're, you're working towards or can give you tips or one of those people that like, say, Hey, like, you know, how, how am I doing lately? Or am I, am I developing the way I'm supposed to doing like, or will be just completely honest and frank with you in terms of like how you're performing within a given night. Uh,
1: Not on a night to night basis. And I think announcers are enough of a fraternity that, um, you know we can go to each other when we have problems. Um, you know when we're trying to, when we're trying to figure things out. In terms of peer review, it doesn't really happen all that often. But I think good announcers have close friends that they can trust who aren't in the business because ultimately what we're trying to do is uh, entertain people at home, and you know we have to be cognizant of how we sound with people at home. That in mind, I I've been getting. You, know, you kind of pay it forward in some ways for younger guys. Um, and I know I emailed a bunch of announcers coming up. Uh, Ian Eagle is one who I don't think <laughs> I've lost count of how many people around the sports broadcasting industry he's been a mentor for, but uh, I would consider him uh, one for sure. And there uh, are other Ian guys, Eagle. yeah, he's great. Um, and I don't know how, I, honestly, I don't know how he has the time or the, the patience to to be able to interact with so many young announcers and you know even every six months i'll just call them and say okay what's going on and you know here's here's what i'm thinking and one day i hope to be able to pay it back to somebody else somebody younger um i try to when whenever i get emails and i've had a lot of it last couple weeks because you know every announcer out there their season is done so they're they're figuring okay let's let's regroup let's see what we can do going into next season and i've had a bunch of younger announcers send me their material demo reels um you know asking for advice and i i make time for all of them because i know i was in a position once where i was asking people for advice and it's invaluable when you can get somebody who's lived it and has learned lessons along the way and you can pass along a little bit of wisdom um i I try i try to caution that hey you know just because I did, it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, but here's what I've seen. Uh, and I've, I've been able to receive some of that good advice along the way as well.
0: Absolutely. I love the idea of paying it forward and trying to be a mentor for the people that come after you because someone paved the way for you. Um, Got to kind of continue that trend forward and make way for the people who are coming after you. Um, you said you mentioned Iron Eagle. I, I know his son, Noah, is in Los Angeles. Have you been able to connect mm-hmm. with him?
1: Yeah, we actually met, um, I want to say last summer. And uh, boy, you, you want to talk about a kid with a bright future. Uh, I, I listened to some Clipper games on radio and I had to do a double take. I'm like, this kid is 22. He's just out of college and he's putting us all to shame. He's that good. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he, obviously being Ian's Son, he's a, he's a nice, nice kid as well. And I, I think he has a tremendous future. Uh, in this industry and I know I must make Ian so proud uh to to see uh, Noah having so much success
0: Definitely um and Alex I have to ask um everyone wants to know what was it like hearing that Alex Trebek suggested you as his replacement on Jeopardy
1: it Was startling <laughs> it kind of came <laughs> out of left field um but, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I'm totally flattered that A, people are watching, B, that, that people think that highly of, of what we're doing on a nightly basis. Um, you know, it it goes to show you never know who's watching, right?
0: Exactly. I think I read somewhere that you woke up to that news and I can't even imagine <laughs> how did. jarring that must have been. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was interesting. Uh, and uh, certainly a little bit different, but I, it was also a little bit of a welcome to LA moment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, Alex, I, I know you're, even though the season's over that, um, you're still super busy. I know you said you're mentoring, looking at some reels, um, and the job is constant. So thank you for taking the time to talk with us. It was really great to have you as our first guest on youth movement. Um, we're excited for everyone to hear this episode. So thank you. And we hope you stay well. Appreciate it. It It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you guys. It was pleasure was all mine. Stay safe. And, uh, well get outside get some fresh air once in a while it's, it's not the
0: worst thing absolutely thanks so much alex alex Faust, everyone tv voice of the los angeles kings that's it for this episode of the youth movement special thanks to our friends and family for their support as we start this journey we appreciate the interest and hope you guys continue to tune in uh, we also want to give a special thanks to matt timpone who was our audio engineer for this episode and nick Sherrata for the help finalizing our logo
2: If you like this episode and want to hear more, we hope you subscribe as we have other great episodes coming soon. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you soon. In the meantime, keep moving.